Welcome back to the Behind the Wealth Show. Roger Abel here with Elias. Eli, taxes are coming up. Yeah. You yep. Excited? For taxes? No. Might never end. No. Before we get into that, can I? do we have time for me to share a story? Sure. Okay. Is it good? I don't know. But I'm something that's been on my mind. I, I guess like, we'll hey, see if it's good or not. I like stories. You know me. So... And this is a story. This is an inflation story, which I'm starting to think inflation is like just the kick in the a kick in the shin that just keeps on kicking you. So I went grocery shopping the other day, which I do not typically do. Maddie, my wife, typically does all the groceries, but there was some stuff I knew I needed, and then she put a little list together. And wow. Going that was a mistake. I was not very happy after I uh after I left the store with the grocery bill the other day. So I was really kind of operating unaware of how expensive all the food has gotten. And then you know, I got a cart full of groceries and hundred and seventy dollars later I'm walking out and I just was really reminded how I just I was like, man, what a poke in the eye! Inflation has just been terrible. I'm trying to figure out how you got out for 170 bucks. It was, ha- it was half a car- it was half a cart. I was, was going to say was, you didn't get very much. Yeah, it was a 65 percent full cart. I don't know. Here's what's was, I, yeah. here's what's ironic about that is a couple years ago, you go to the grocery store, and the outside aisles were all the expensive stuff. And what are the outside aisles? Fruits, vegetables, meat, dairy, right? That's primarily, if you go to a grocery store, the outside aisles are your fruit, vegetables, meat, dairy, the expensive stuff. The inside is where you can go bargain shop, right? 29 cent ramen noodles, 39 cent macaroni and cheese. Macaroni and cheese is two bucks. You you go to the grocery store. Now I do self-checkout, you know. I opt for the best service at the grocery store, which means I check myself out. You get that? The best service is self. Yeah, you just do it yourself. <laughs> just do it yourself. Yeah. $3.99, $5.99, $5.99. It spits out the price and everything is three to five dollars. There's nothing expensive. Did you buy any did you buy any fruit? Um fruit. No, got some vegetables. I don't think any fruit. No fruit was on the list. Red raspberries for maybe like two cups. What do you think red raspberries for two cups of red raspberries? Ten bucks. Eight bucks. Seven, eight. Nine, anywhere from seven to eight bucks. My my four-year-old loves raspberries. They're actually a super healthy vegetable. Or I mean fruit. I was but dude, say, not for what, eight raspberries bucks. Raspberries are a vegetable now. I got a question. Yeah. Is avocado a fruit or a vegetable? Okay, anything isn't anything with a seed technically a fruit? And there's a big seed in it. So You're it's super smart. My wife is like, well, avocado is a vegetable or a fruit. I'm like, no, it's a vegetable. She's like, dude, it's a fruit. I think tomatoes are technically a fruit. Yeah, it's a fruit. But people. I thought it was a vegetable. I'm like, this is healthy. It seems like, I mean, it's not sweet. So it seems like it should be in the the vegetable family. Right. Yeah. Uh, But here's the other ironic thing about um, inflation. Everybody thinks it's over, but what if it's not? That that's what I was. That was one thing I was thinking about coming home from the grocery store. Is what? I mean, if this doesn't stop, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. So let me ask you a question. Everybody, 
all but guaranteed a recession, right? There was a recession. Now everybody's saying inflation's over. Fed's going to cut. What if they don't? I pers I personally don't. I don't really buy all that. I don't see how. And I'm. It's very possible I'm wrong, but. If all the, I don't know, I feel like if we have too aggressive of rate cuts now, inflation's not going to stop. It's going to get worse. Yeah, so I talked with another gal who's retired, who's retired from doing this business, and we talked about um, 70s and 80s. Why? We're just a society of everything just is going to happen quickly. Inflation was here for like a decade, and we think it's here for 18 months now. Right. And every and right, everyone wants an immediate solution. It doesn't work that way. Although I did hear uh, said Jeffrey Gunlatch, I think it was Jeffrey Gunlatch was talking about, you know, intuitively, we all think if they lower rates, it's gonna be a home buying frenzy, right? Like, oh man, everybody's gonna go buy a house because now they can afford it. But that also means is everybody's gonna list their house. So maybe it actually has a reverse effect on house prices. We all think housing will go up if inflation drops and money gets easier. Money gets easier, right? If interest rates go down, we believe that people buy more homes. But I people mean, the actually, supply of homes for sale would have to skyrocket. But it probably will. Because I think what ate up a lot of the supply was investors, one. And two, people buying second properties. Maybe. Well, Okay, I'll use myself. My wife would like a new house. I'm not moving out of my house that I have a great interest rate on. There's a lot of people like me. There's people like you. Your wife would like a new house. You're not giving up your 3% interest rate to go to 7. No. But if rates get down in the low 5s or upper 4s. Yeah, people will say good enough. Good enough. All the homes will list. Which, yeah, it might cause some inflation. But if there's a giant amount of homes that flood the market for sale because they're moving. There's more competition, which arguably could make home prices flatten or fall. That it's is just true, kind of a counterpoint an, yeah. that I hadn't really thought about. And there's, I think one of the things you're going to, people listen to the show are going to recognize our goal is to provide both sides. We don't ever want to be biased one way or another. So what I like to do is bring the attention things that could happen that maybe I haven't thought about. Well, that's a good idea, and yeah, I just, that's really been on my mind ever since I was at the store was, wow, it's a, there's no way around it. Just groceries are expensive. I grocery shop. I do all the grocery shop in our house for the most yeah, part. I know. I mean, you, yeah, you're much more, you, you know way more about the grocery store than I do. I bought a marinade the other day, five bucks, Lowry's marinade, four ninety nine. I'm like. This can't be right. Five bucks to let the meat soak in there for an hour, and then you throw it away. For a zero, zero nutritional value. But here's the thing: even the high V brain was four bucks. I'm like, this is like some soy sauce and some oil and some spices. Like olive oil hasn't gone up that much. It hasn't. No cereal. Did you buy any cereal? No. Six bucks for a box of cereal. Six bucks. Yeah, that's terrible. And a lot of yogurt, those cereals six bucks for a four for pack. I mean, it's crazy, but you know that's why people are struggling. Just it's starting to take a toll on everyday households, and it's 
honestly probably why we're seeing inflation start to moderate. The numbers show it's moderating. Well, you have to make a choice. You're going to spend it on Chick-fil-A. You're going to go to the grocery store. I don't know if it matters at this point. Oh, Chick-fil-A is like 35 bucks. I'll give you a, here's how out of tune I am to stuff. I was talking to our friend the other day, Brad, and he said something about going to McDonald's. I'm like, well, that's going to be like seven bucks. He goes, no, I go, don't they have the dollar menu? He's like, the dollar menu doesn't exist anymore. He's like, everything's like $3. You Uh, been to McDonald's? Yeah. So the last, yes, I have within the last two years, I've been one time. And it was the closest. I hadn't ate all day. I was on my way to a meeting, and it's the f- closest restaurant to the meeting location. I think I was going to a like an officials meeting or something, and uh, so I stopped at the McDonald's and I just ordered a meal because I just didn't want to like think about anything. I just okay, there's the quarter pounder, the number seven, whatever that one is. And I think it was like thirteen dollars. And I was thinking I should have just went across the street. If I had time, I'm better off going across the street to that bar over there and getting a much better cheeseburger than going through the drive-thru. Yeah, I know. So, it, yeah, that's the last time I ate. I know I spent over $10 for a sandwich, some French fries, and a Diet Coke or something. It seemed like a lot. It's crazy. But inflation's moderating in other ways. You know what I saw the other day? There's a car manufacturer offering a $9,000 rebate. Oh, really? When's the last time you saw a $9,000 rebate? Don't know, but that means deals are coming back in the car market, which would be a good thing. That'll help price cars go down. I think the price of cars are already coming down. Not new cars, but I think used cars, that's already coming back into to parity, I believe. Here's what I do know is going to keep increasing the more money we have. What? Your tax bill. Well, yeah, you can. <laughs> well, remember, yeah. Remember, right, if, you make, uh, if you make 20000 more, you're just going to pay more in taxes. Right, and that was one of. Remember, there was an argument about inflating the debt away. How, like, with enough inflation, you can raise, you can kind of behind the back math raise taxes without having to raise tax rates to inf- to inflate all the debt away. At some point, but the other thing is, you might be able to do that, but that means you'd have to keep interest rates low because we're paying interest on those balances. Yes. So yeah, you could, but that would be. I don't think the Fed would let that happen. Yeah, it's just it's an economic theory that's out there. But is that, yeah, I mean, is it pe- economic or is it TikTok? No, I, I don't remember the exact. <laughs> no, it was from a real source of real infor- source, okay. a real source of information, not a TikTok. Well, I bring up the tax the tax thing because tax season's actually, well, for me it's a year round thing, but for a lot of people it's just getting started, and their first day they can file is January twenty ninth. And there was an article on CNBC, and I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, it's what you need to know about tax filing. And there's there's a line in here that I thought was um, great. Our transformation efforts take hold. As, tra- as our transformation efforts take hold, taxpayers will continue to see marked improvement in IRS operations in the upcoming filing season. I had to call the IRS two months ago. Do you know how long I was on hold? And 60 minutes. No. Two hours and 45 minutes. Two on hours hold? and 40. Did you even remember minutes. what you called for by the time they got on? I the was phone? just working here, ding, 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 ding. And I talked to the lady and she had to transfer me, like, I can't wait another two hours and 45 minutes. Wow. 
two hours and 45 minutes. Yep. But the transformation making, efforts are taking hold here. I thought that it, was ironic. Yeah, they're making it easier to uh, they're making it easier to prove that you paid the correct amount in taxes. <laughs> and this is just a clerical thing I needed some information on. Like I was looking for a document. Two hours and 45 minutes. Well, the government's got to get their portion too. Everyone's got to get their portion and the government's going to get theirs. Well, here's here's what's also ironic. The IRS expects to receive 128 million tax returns. The average refund will be $3,167. What's the float on that? <laughs> I have no what? idea. So there's 128 tax returns and I don't know if it's per person, but if the average is 3,167 3, tax $3,167 per tax return. That means people are floating the IRS four hundred billion. Can that be right? What was this? One hundred and twenty-eight million tax returns. The average refunds thirty-one sixty-seven. Yeah, that comes out to be four hundred and five billion. So people are giving the IRS four hundred and five billion dollars in free money. Jeez, that seems no like interest. A lot. That's like $2 billion in interest. Individual U.S. taxpayers gave up so they could get a refund. Because we hear, you know, get a refund. We I don't want to owe. I want to get a refund. Why? You should owe why. as long as why? you don't have a penalty. It'd be better off to owe versus, you know, you don't want a penalty. But if you owe 500 bucks, what's the downside to that? There is none. There's none. The downside to lending... $3,000 as you gave away $150 to the government for nothing. Yeah. I mean, that's, but that would just require that that would require understanding how it works and what you're actually doing. And very few people actually make money on their tax. Re yeah. No one's making money. Like I see, I understand people think it's like, Oh man, I'm getting this money back. I made money. No, you didn't. You gave them too much. You overpaid. No one will overpay on their mortgage, but sure they'll overpay the IRS. It make tons of sense. Yeah. But back when I was uh, a young man serving and waiting on tables at Red Lobster, tax return season was a good time to be on the schedule because a lot we were always really busy and people were generous with their tips because so, they got that extra three thousand bucks. So like May fifth was great for you guys. Yeah. Oh yeah. As soon as tax returns start coming in that's funny i never really thought about that oh yeah it was all you can always make good money once everyone has their tax return they're going out blowing it you know, i actually know a lot of people that'll take that tax return money if they get it they're they're playing they're getting it they know they're getting it they don't want to adjust the withholding because that's their kind of forced savings vehicle so they'll take that money and they'll make like a contribution to a roth or an ira so i guess that's like good behavior because they probably wouldn't have saved the additional money for themselves but sure um, it kind of makes me think like, you know, that's kind of a money mistake, really. Which is overpaying yeah. in taxes? Yeah. I mean, don't, do you think? I kind of think. I, yes, I do. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think you should over. I don't think you should overpay. My intention is to be as close to even as possible there you every go. year. We don't want to underpay because then you have penalties and stuff. But if we can just be close to zero. But if you're getting five, six, seven thousand dollars back in a tax return, you got to like have a serious look in the mirror and be like, why am I doing this? What's the economic benefit? And when interest rates at the bank was zero, okay, well, 
that's reasonable, but they're not zero today. No, they're absolutely not. And so, most most money mistakes are like small, right? We talk we talk about that a lot. How it's not typically kind of what derails people's situation is not always big purchases, but it's like it's the small nickel and dime stuff over time, right? It's they're not always oh you're I'm behind because I maybe bought a car that was too expensive. It's typically smaller items that you can make adjustments to to be successful. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? The financial professionals at Premier Investments and Wealth Management are the guides you've been looking for. Picture this, a financial plan tailored exclusively to you. Our team of experienced professionals will work closely with you to understand your aspirations and develop a personalized roadmap to get you there. Whether you're dreaming of retirement, buying a new home, or sending your kids to college, we've got the tools to give you confidence in your financial life. We'll help you navigate saving and investing, retirement income, and tax strategies. Our job is not just about making money. It's about helping our clients make smart choices. We'll provide you with the tools and knowledge to confidently steer your financial ship toward a brighter future. Are you ready to embark on your financial journey with confidence? Visit www.btwealthshow.com or click the link in the description of this podcast. Your financial future awaits. Well, and if I think about money mistakes, you know, there's really four primary money mistakes I think people can make. You know, there's more than this, but there's four that kind of come to mind that that we could talk about with people today. Um, and some of it's big stuff, some of it's small stuff. But really, the easiest money money mistake to avoid is not investing enough. Most people Ooh. don't invest enough. Ironically, this is on our outline. Last night, I was sitting with my wife and we were doing some planning. So I pulled up the Morningstar, you know, calculator and did some hypotheticals. And my wife said, can we save more? I said, yeah, if you're going to buy less. <laughs> How'd that go? <laughs> I think she wants to say more. I mean, we're doing a good job, but she's like, can we do more? I said, sure. God there you us. go. You can always save a little bit more. And it's yeah. more important. It is. It's more important to keep, right? Save. I mean, what are you really doing when you're saving money? You're keeping those dollars for yourself. And most people who are successful with money, they figured out a way to keep as many dollars as they can to themselves. Well, you know what's ironic about how we got to that conversation? I don't know how you got there. I was running a Morningstar analysis. I didn't invite her into the conversation. She just said, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, so I'm working on some retirement stuff, just running some analysis. She goes, oh, what's it look like? Well, this. Oh, that's cool. That'd be good. She goes, but can we say, can I tell her how much we were saving? Because she's pretty uninvolved. She goes, can we save more? I said, well, yeah, we could. We got to spend less. Okay, well, let's save more. Oh, okay. Like, you know, that's how I took a pretty uninvolved person in the process and got them involved. It wasn't, hey, we need to have this conversation. That was all by accident. And I'm privy to some tools most people don't have. Yeah. You know, I got the financial planning stuff and I got Morningstar right there. And, you know, I'm mapping out what's it look like at this age, what's it look like at this age and just some planning. But I got her involved and, hey, yeah, we could save a little more if you want to do that. Would that have gone different had you said hey i want to talk about this we need to if i would have approached the conversation we need to spend less and save more the end result well no we're not doing that because i'm saving a bunch already it doesn't really matter 
But now she's a little motivated because she sees what the numbers look like. It's hard to motivate. Effective approach. You know, it's hard to motivate people to say, yep, live less life now so you can have it later on in the future. And I think there's a balance. It's a balance between saving and enjoying your life, right? There really is. I think so. I mean, you know, there's a certain age in life that you're going to hit. And the amount of money you think you need, the amount of money you're probably going to spend are two different things. Nobody that's 45, 50, 60 years old thinks you're going to slow down. Eventually, you're going to slow down. There's no question about it. And the question I'd ask people, would you rather have a little more lifestyle early on versus when you're 80? There's nothing wrong with being 80. But I know what you can do from a health and stamina standpoint at that point in time is totally different than 55. And if you think about what we can do for people from a planning standpoint, we can quantify what you need to do to be successful in retirement. But we also can say, hey, you know, maybe you're way above track. Maybe you could live a little bit more life now. And you'll still be great financially in retirement. That's really what the plan does. Like, yeah, it's I not just, magic. It just gives confidence to people. Yeah, I just had a conversation around this idea with a client who's very responsible, a very good saver, doing all the right things. The house is now too small for the family of five. The neighborhoods they want to live in are it's really motivated by the schools that are available. And what he what this particular family was struggling with was if they make this home purchase they may not be able to save um, more like they want to, but they're actually currently saving enough for the planning that we've done so far. And then talking through that, and some of it is, especially for younger family, you know, sometimes you just gotta get through the situation and do what you can. I mean, kids are little, life's getting more expensive and all this. Well, they're they're still able to save a little bit more. I think what their their target they're not going to hit. But then we talked about well, let's get closer to the target, and then next year we can get a little bit closer to the target, right? We broke it, break it down to smaller steps, but you don't have to, you know, in this situation they're doing all the things necessary to be successful long term. They're just not able to save exactly what they want, which, okay, that's a good problem to have. You want to be a better saver. So that's a good problem to have, but you also got to live your life and get through the different phases of your life too. We've actually done a lot of that because I did the same exact exercise with some young people who, what you'll find in most situations, you've got one person super saver. The other person is trying to get more lifestyle. And you got to find a happy medium. And what that financial plan can do for a person in their 30s and 40s is exactly what you said. Hey, you're on track. You could afford to have a little more lifestyle. When I say lifestyle, it's not going out and taking car loans. It's like, oh, yeah, maybe we need to do a family trip. Maybe we need to get a bigger house. The one case I can remember, it was like a family of five in a three-bedroom house. Like they're sharing rooms, and these people are well set for retirement. And they actually wanted me to like show them what they could afford to purchase in a house. 
I'm like, you should probably do this. I mean, you're living in like the house you've been in for 15 years and you've outgrown it. Some people outgrow their house. Some people don't. But that's really what that plan can do for a, for a young family, young couple is just provide confidence that even if they increase their lifestyle and have a little lifestyle creep, everything's okay from the savings and retirement side. Elias, the second money mistake that's super easy to fix, emergency fund, not having a fully funded emergency fund. I actually was listening to um, a Dave Ramsey show the other day, and the people were running through their financial situation, and they draw down, they had drawn their emergency fund down to three months from six. And Dave goes, well, what did you use the money for? And she goes, well, my husband lost his job. He hasn't been employed in a year. You know, he was expecting the response of, well, we refinished the basement or we squandered it. They actually, their six-month emergency fund lasted a year while their husband was out of work. So they're you they're using it for what it's supposed exactly. to be used for. Okay. So that's but that's why the emergency fund was important. If it wasn't fully funded or if they didn't have one, husband's out of work, what happens to everything else? Just blows up. It's going on credit cards. I'm sure it's going on credit cards. So money mistake that's super easy to fix is have a fully fully funded emergency account. It's really you know, at least three months, we prefer to you to be at six months. And one thing people should think about, if they figured out how much they needed in their emergency fund five years ago, probably not fully funded today. Well, yeah, factor in inflation, it's not fully funded. There you go. And the other thing with emergencies, emergencies always happen at the most inconvenient time. So we just took a, a trip to go see some friends and family out of state. And guess what was not working properly when we got home? Our water heater. You told me that. So, right, so you just spend $2,000 to go on this nice vacation, get home. Now the plumber, now the plumber needs 2,700 to put the new water heater in. It would have been great if the water heater would have broke three months from now when we didn't just get back from vacation. But is that how it works? No, no. never. It doesn't work like that. It works when you get back. It's the most inconvenient time. And now you got to shell out some more money. But thankfully, we have an emergency fund. So we paid for it. And now we have this great, new, efficient water heater that works great. Well, you know, no, our other one was 20 years old. We got, we got our money's ready. worth. We got our money's worth out of it. Well, think about this. Your emergency fund kept Murphy out of your business. You know what Murphy is? Yeah. It's when you're not prepared. Yeah, Murphy's law. You know, you spent the money on the trip. Then you had the furnace break. Something else is going to happen in the next 90 days. It's going to cost money. I almost it did. I, w I went to the grocery store. Yeah, that was our third. Went to the grocery store. That was the third thing. So yeah. let's make sure you have an emergency fund. Three. Not reviewing insurance policies, and we don't talk about insurance a lot on this, but really, your insurance policy, you should be going, yeah, you don't have to do this every year, but you should go through it every couple of years and make sure you have the coverages that you want to have covered. Now, I think a lot of people during the floods of 08 and 09 here didn't have the coverage that they thought they had. So review your coverage and make sure it's what you think you have, because if you have a problem... You want to be properly insured. It's why you buy that. Make sure you have enough life insurance. I mean, if you don't know how much, 10 to 12, time, 12 to 10 times your income is what you probably should have if you have kids. Yeah, pr probably. And that's, that's good guidance. And that's the, 
especially younger people bring up life insurance and you have to have some level of protection on your income because it's really life insurance from a risk management perspective is income replacement. And if something were to happen now, statistically, most people are going to live beyond their kids graduating and being adults and all that stuff. But no one knows any accident can happen. Anything can happen. You need something there to protect your family if a, ter- a tragedy were to occur like that. And nobody wants to buy life insurance. No. I don't want to deal I, with it. Yeah, I don't, don't want to buy it. I don't want to spend the money. I don't want people to think we're different, like we really enjoy it. No, we dislike paying for life insurance <laughs> as much as the general it's, public. Right. But it's a necessarily evil in life. And it, it actually provides a really, it's a really good planning tool if used correctly. The problem with most life insurance, it's vastly missold, in our opinion. Yes, and I if agree you're, with that. If you're looking for health insurance, we'd be happy to review your insurance, let you know what our kind of take is on it. Go to btwellshow.com. We actually include that as part of our financial planning. You know, we had a tool in that financial planning that kind of quantifies how much you need. And it's not the blanket advice, right? This year is kind of challenging blanket advice on our show. Blanket advice is 10 to 12 times. I can tell you of a case, Elias, that I worked with an individual. He's an executive. And if I did just blanket advice, he'd have bought a lot of insurance. And he bought it for 20 years because that's standard what people do, right? A lot of people say, well, you're 48 years old. You probably want a 20-year term insurance policy. What the software actually did was quantified his risk through different periods of time. So if something happens today, you need to have 8 million. I'm making numbers up. It was around these numbers. In 10 years, if something happens, you need 4 million. And then in 15, I think it's 15 years, if something happens, you need two. So his risk was the next 15 years. So how we structured is we did, I think we did a 10 year policy for like 5 million. And then we did a two, uh, 15 year policy for two because he had a little bit through his employer. But what it did, well, you did the underwriting on it. It saved him like four or 5,000 a year in premiums by not doing a $8 million, 15 year term insurance. We broke it out into different segments to lower that premium. If we didn't do a financial plan, that that's not how it would have been done. He would have paid a lot of extra money for premiums that didn't need to be paid. Right. And that that's a right there. That's a risk management strategy that is unique and specific to that family. Right. That wasn't just blanket advice. Yeah. It wasn't generic advice. That's exactly what they needed to do to protect themselves. But ironically, this individual makes about 900,000. Ironically, the number he needs today was around 8 million bucks, 10 to 12% or 10 to 12 times your income roughly. Right, but it wasn't 10 to 12 times his income for 15 15 years. years. Right, right. Right. That's why personalizing it and getting away from the blanket advice helps optimize your situation. The last thing you should do, check your credit report regularly. Um, With as prevalent as identity theft and credit card theft is, you got to check it a lot. I just had this happen to me two weeks ago. Went to a restaurant. I left my card there. I came back two hours later. They said they didn't have it. Ironically, they found it when I asked if they were stealing credit cards. 
Guess what happened four days later? Well, I know what happened for it. You purchased four thousand dollars to you, Napa Auto Parts in California. Yeah, you're working. You're at the mechanic shop in California yeah. somehow. Ironically, you know the one place I used it outside of regular purchases, and they said they didn't have it, but miraculously found it. I'm not going to mention names where it is, but how much of that stuff goes undetected on people's credit? I'm sure all the time. I mean, if they would have done $86 at Walmart, I'd have never known because I just paid that bill. Yeah. I only knew because Molly called me and she said, hey, they didn't let this charge go through. I'm like, that's impossible. I doubted her. Well, then I went to buy something to client. So I called them like, well, you guys usually call me if there's fraud. Oh, we haven't got to it. I'm like, huh? And sure enough, someone had tried to use we the card. We haven't got to it. Wow. I'm like, well, usually it's Capital One. Usually they send me a little alert. Hey, we believe there's fraud in your account. It's been flagged. Is this your purchase? Yeah. Um, which goes down another rabbit hole of what a disaster it is to have someone steal your information because that was for the business. And literally Ugh. every single automatic like payment that's set up on there, which is everything, Molly had to go reset up. Mm-hmm. And I'm Not still fun. dealing with it. Not fun. So, Elias, as I mentioned, this year our goal is to just challenge blanket advice. And not that blanket advice is bad, just we believe personalized advice gets a more optimal outcome. And I don't think anybody could argue with that. There's nobody out there saying blanket advice is better than personalized advice. I'm sure you can find someone that'll argue that with you, but well, yeah, yeah, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make people, sense to argue that. Guess who the people who are going to argue that with me are? The the TikTok financial celebrities. It's the people who give blanket advice. And the blanket <laughs> advice givers. Because they can't offer personalized advice. It's not how their business operates. Doesn't mean it's bad. Um, but this week, what I want to talk about on on challenging blanket advice is retirement calculators. Okay. And they are everywhere. I believe they can be a good start, but let's talk about what's wrong with them. Okay. What do you think the number one problem with retirement calculators is? And we probably can break these into like different categories, but what do you think the number one problem with retirement calculators are? Uh, the number one problem, in my opinion, is the hardest thing to plan for in our business. And I believe that's the variance of returns or another way of saying that is we don't know what the market's going to do, right? Over time, we believe it's going to continue higher, but in the next 12 months, is it going to go down 10% at one time and then back up 15? We don't know the order in which those things are going to happen. So in my opinion, that's the issue with most retirement calculators is there's no way to factor the sequence of returns, variance, however you want to uh, describe it. Right. If I have three people that all average 8%, but they all started investing at different times and they all invest $100,000. They are not all going to have the same amount of money is basically what you're saying. Correct. Right? You don't get 8% every year. Some years you lose 15, some years you make 20, you average eight. Sequence of return. So I agree. That's the number one risk is that most saving calculators you go to, it just says, hey, how much do you have today? How long will you invest? What's your rate of return? Well, okay, if you plug in 12% into the savings calculator, let's say the stock market's averaged that over time, you're never going to get that return. 
because your accountant never went down in value. It just keeps compounding at 12% a year. It's not an accurate reflection. That's the number one problem with savings calculators. And that's when we do a financial Which those plan. results are fun to look at. If you look at 12% return and your account never goes down, that looks great. You want to know what I use for return if I'm using a savings calculator to try to account for the variance? I would imagine 6 to 8%. You got it, 6. 6? 6. Yeah. Because my goal with my planning is to be conservative because I'm relaying this message to my partner. So what I don't want to do is say, hey, we should have X and you have half of that money. Yeah, you don't want that to happen. So under promise, over deliver, never disappoint. That's how you should treat your spouse with the person in your family who doesn't do this. Don't paint the rosy picture, paint the bleak picture. If it's better, no one's complaining. So that's one problem. The second problem is even if you went in, so right, you could go to Morningstar and say, hey, what have my investments done? If I had this exact mix, I own the S&P 500 and this value fund and this bond fund over the last 20 years, what would it have done? And it's going to give you a number. And what's the number all driven by? The number in... The Morningstar stuff, yeah. historical performance. Historical performance. Which, which happened in the past. Which is accounting for variance. Yes, that does. So I ran one. You'll get a kick out of this. And this is where you, if somebody, if there's an advisor selling you on the reason you should do business with them is because of performance, you should run away. Here's why. So I run this calculator. I'm 45. So what age do you think I used for retirement when I was running these calculations last night? 65. There you go. 20 years. I actually used 21. I think it was 2003 is when I started. Pretty good, pretty good picture. Pretty nice. Most people would be thrilled. Guess I went and changed the date to. Mm, 20, what? 2013? 1999. 99. Yeah. I changed it to 2000. I take it back. 2000. So three more years, you'd think right, your so results you're starting. Better. Yeah, your starting points. I started at the top of the market before it went down. If you think about 2003, the market was on the recovery. So I went and started my calculation right before a big downturn. It was actually less money. How much less? Like in a percentage? I don't remember. Basis. It wasn't a lot, but it was still less. But right. I wanted to see the impact. And part of the reason it worked out is because the contribution I'm making is big enough. It kind of made up for it in that down year. But I just didn't want to go see what's this rosy picture that I start at the bottom of the market. That's what you should always do. <laughs> yeah. If I could time it, it would be yeah. awesome. But those are some of the things you should look at. So someone's showing you a Morningstar report. That's past performance. It's likely not going to happen like that in the future. But the one thing a Morningstar does is it does account for the variance. So I would much rather like someone to go use a Morningstar analysis than plug into just a straight line savings calculator. And I think when I back to 2023, the investment mix I use, which are two real mutual funds, I won't mention which one. I want to say the rate of return was 10.33% from 2023 till today was 10.33%. They're a growth fund and a, and a, you know, a, I don't know, just a regular investment fund, we'll call it. I don't want to get too, too specific with it. But that's what we don't like about standard retirement calculators. It's not personalized. No, it's not. And it's easy to, it's really just easy to paint a, a picture that's just too nice. 
it's what depending most on the rate of return you assume and you know the and really yeah I, I think i agree with everything you're saying if you're going to do past performance you should start in a year where the market was high right before a correction and then do one starting at the bottom because that's going to get you more dialed in on what real you're going to be somewhere in that range right it's where that's going to give you a real picture of what's going to happen it's where we're armed with you like i can go do that at my house well yeah. right so that's how i kind of base my decisions we can do that for individuals too I was doing it just to see the effect. What if I save three years longer, but during a bad market? That's it. Yeah. Well, not everyone has access to a Morningstar workstation. Well, it kind of comes down to the point of what we provide for people. We provide the ability to become all the, even if somebody is knowledgeable about this, right? We talk about the three reasons people do business with advisors or hire an advisor, time, desire, knowledge. Some people have the time and desire. They might even have the knowledge, but know what they don't have? They don't have the software. Very few at-home people have the technology stack that we have here to do the things that we do. I, I don't a, think anyone does. I, I had a family I work with that came in five or six years ago. Husband, really intelligent, engineer, wrote a manual on how to price the health insurance for a major corporation. I'm like, he's smart. He looked at me halfway through the meeting and he could clearly do all the like manual calculations and all this stuff. Right. He goes, I figured out what you do, what you can do for me. I go, okay, what is it? He goes, you can become all the technology that I can't do. I could do what you're doing, but it would take me hours of time. You can just go stroke the button and have the answer instantly for me. There you go. And that's why they became customers. Not that he didn't have the knowledge or the desire. He didn't have the time to do what I was actually doing. And there's a lot of value in delegating your time. I mean, we see it. People come with their spreadsheet. What's their spreadsheet always have? Rate of return. What I got. This is what I'm going to have. Well, okay. Where's the variance? I mean, we work with a lot of engineering clients. There's a reason we worked lots of engineers because we live in the statistical world. Business owners, same thing. Like they want to know that they're okay and just be on track. So with that said, I want to thank everybody for listening. I think we had a good show today. Elias, hopefully um, you can figure out how to get on a, a bargain at the grocery store this week. Cause I know you're going back. I know you gave I'm up a coupon clipper. Now I'm going to figure out how to save money. at the. Now it's like a project and a challenge. How do you save money at the grocery store? Well, you gave up chips and stuff in February, which was wildly received on Facebook. Yeah, so people, it, someone sent me a message and it said chip free February sounds like a ridiculous idea. I think that was, I, I know who that was. <laughs> um, okay. If you're looking to start 2024 off right, you can reach us at btwellshow.com. We'll get you your one page premier vision document, or you can click the link in the description to get started as well. I want to thank everybody for listening and hopefully you tune in next week. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. 
This information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific tax issues with a qualified tax advisor. Economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted and there can be no guarantee that strategies promoted will be successful. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. There is no assurance that the techniques and strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. The purchase of certain securities may be required to affect some of the strategies. Investing involves risks including possible loss of principal. Dollar cost averaging involves continuous investment in securities. Regardless of fluctuation in price levels of such securities, an investor should consider their ability to continue purchasing through fluctuating price levels. Such a plan does not assure profit and does not protect against loss.